Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome everybody in this room. Welcome to everybody joining us online as well. I want to give a shout out, congratulations to our Zionsville Eagles football team, sectional champs. How about that? Congratulations, Coach Scott Turnquist, first year head coach at Zionsville. Where's Coach Clyde Bodkin? Is Coach Clyde in the house? What, Scott, you got him doing film work right now or what's going on, right? You got Clyde working away, but happy for you guys. Happy for your staff and the players. What a great accomplishment. Sorry, all you Brownsburg Bulldog families, you know, it's just, you know, their success is your loss type of thing. Jesus is still at work in Brownsburg too, but we're excited for <laughs> Zionsville and good luck in the next round as well. And uh, also want to extend our prayers towards Don Hickman and her family, so Don and Ernie and their family, we all gathered yesterday morning for Rick Gibbonese Memorial Service, and uh, it was a really special time. Don and her uh, sisters did a great job of planning the service and uh, a really meaningful time. And I thought um, I'd share, she sent me a letter this week, Don did, of a, she wrote to her dad, and uh, it was nine years ago, Don was in an accident, and on the other side of the accident, she wrote this letter, and she found it this week when she was going through, you know, trying to prepare the for the memorial service. She found this letter. She sent it to me, and with her permission, uh, I want to read you a couple lines because I think it's a, it's a good picture of where we're at in the storyline with David. So at the end of the letter, she said, God gave me the best daddy ever. I love you always and am forever grateful for who you've been in my life and how much God loves me to give me a dad like you. Listen to this line. You being who you are taught me so much about who God is. Boy, isn't that a great picture of a father right there? And uh, for Dawn, that was just nine years ago in her life when she penned that and her dad passing away at the age of 74. And I thought, you know, isn't this, as a church, we like to say we're about more together every day. So if you're newer to the Eagle family, we want you to know that we want to journey together through all the seasons of life, right? Whether it's a great victory on a Friday night or a difficult grief and loss like what the Hickmans are going through. Isn't that real life? Life has lived somewhere between those poles. And maybe some of you come in having going through some things that you're not quite sure how you're going to get through. Receiving some news recently, going through some tough times. We want you to know that this is a safe place for you to be you and we care. And God cares. And this is a more together everyday family. And this is the part we're at in David's storyline. So I picture David kind of having one of these family chats as we're at this section where David is 70 years old and he gets his close family and he gets the leaders of the nation together. And in a sense, David is sharing his plans for his memorial service before the memorial service. And I thought, boy, there's a lot of wisdom in that. To be thinking through what it is you'd like shared at your memorial service before those who are left to prepare your memorial service. Or as one older pastor said, he used to run around and say, hey, live in such a way that the preacher doesn't have to lie at the memorial service, you know, that kind of thing. But so David is there, and so if you open up your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 28, and this is the section we're at, and we're going to look at his memorial service plans and draw out three specific lines from his memorial service, and I think will function as a bridge I shared at the end of, of Rick's memorial yesterday that when God wants to make sure we don't miss the point, he plants it in our instincts. And I believe when you sit around in a, a gathering like the passing of a loved one, 
and you gather in a church setting or you gather in a funeral home or you're standing at a graveside and you're, you're pausing in the midst of everything that's going on in life and you're reflecting on that kind of a life and that kind of a setting, that there's an instinct that rises up. And maybe even when we gather for worship services, that there's an instinct that rises up on a, a Sunday morning and is setting an instinct that says, man, that's right, like God matters, like faith matters, like life beyond this life matters. And I think we would do well to follow that instinct. And I think that's what David's doing here. He's like, hey, let me get everybody together. He's 70. He's at the end of the run. He knows he's going to pass on soon. He's like, you know what? There's an instinct rising up, and I want you to follow this instinct. And here's how he opens up that line. Verse 2, 1 Chronicles 28. King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. Underline your Bibles, but God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. So I think the first line he shares with us out of his memorial service planning, I titled this way, loosen your grip. Loosen your grip. Do you see how David said, hey, we got to learn how to, to work these muscles of loosening the grip and surrender and relinquishment. I had it in my heart. This is like, right, I had it in my heart that I'm going to build a house. I've got the plans drawn up. I've got the project put together. I've got the materials all supplied. But God, but God said, actually, you're not to be the one to do that. God had to get in the way to show David the way. Anybody been there? Anybody been there where you're just like, I had it in my heart that this is where this relationship was going, but God. I, I had it in my heart I was going to go to that school, but God. I had it in my heart I was going to take that job, but God. I had it in my heart I was going to move to that city, but God. I had it in my heart you were convinced this is the way, this is the plan, but God. Steps in the way to show you the way. Anybody been there? If you haven't, just keep living life with the Lord, and you're going to find he's quite good at this. I'm a one on the Enneagram. If you've never studied anything about the Enneagram, a one is also known as a perfectionist. So I like things in order, and I like to be in control of things. I like to decide things, plan things. I like to have things all mapped out. I like to have my plans. I've learned God loves to mess with ones. Like, he just... He loves to come to a one and say, you don't really have, you don't have any idea exactly, but God, he just keeps stepping in the way to show me the way over and over and over again. I was reminded back in my, in the, in the 90s when I was working at Eli Lilly, I worked from Lilly from 91 to 94 as marketing systems department. Worked with some great people, had wonderful experience. They were paying me way too much money to do what I was doing. I wasn't nearly as productive as the paycheck was reflecting. But nonetheless, it was a really great experience. That was back in the Prozac glory years at Lilly. So all you Lilly employees, you may remember those Prozac glory years. That's when they had food at every meeting, which was like, that was amazing. Like this huge spread of food at all the meetings. I just planned meetings just for the food, you know. And I remember sitting down about two and a half years into my time at Lilly in my my manager sat down with me, and he had this spreadsheet put together, and it was like project planned out, and he sat with me, and he said, Eric, we've been working on your life and your future here with us, and we've got this whole thing charted out, 
Like, here's where you are, and if you stay with us on this track, here's where you'll be. Like, like 5, 10, 15 years out. We're going to promote you. You're going to work in this. You're going to lead this. You're going to do this and all that. And right in there, I mean, that fed my one thoroughly. I'm like, oh, that, that all sounds great. But God. But God steps in the way by a church plant that was starting up on the northwest side of Indianapolis. I had moved to this area, and I was looking for a place to begin to worship, and I had met Pastor Kerry Bowman. And so I showed up at the first organizational meeting of this church called Eagle Church, and there were 30 of us in a hotel banquet room. Mike Vanderipe, who's up there on the light board today, Mike and I, Mike and I remember that. Some, of, some others in the room were there in those early days of Eagle, the Swathwood family and others around here. We, we were we were together, and I was just hanging out, helping a church get started, and, but God says to me, you know what, Simpson, I need you to loosen the grip on your systems analyst's career with Lily. I need you to relinquish it. I need you to lay it down. I'm standing in the way to show you the way. I want you to consider a shift I want you to go from being a marketing systems analyst on their 5, 10, 15, 20-year plan. I want you to lay that down. I want you to make a move to pastoral ministry, go back to seminary. And at the same time, Pastor Kerry, when he was sitting down with me and saying, here's, here's what I've, I've got to offer you. It was like a four-page job description, like five people couldn't do the job that he had laid out on there. But that's kind of how it works in church world. And then he said at the end of that conversation, and by the way, we can't pay you. So he wanted me to leave this career at Lilly and go to a job where Carrie's like, I'm not sure we can pay you anything. And if we can pay you anything, I'm not sure if it's the same. And we haven't even heard of the concept of benefits package. So don't even ask the question about benefits package. In the church world, we say it's all eternity. There's your benefits package. <laughs> oh, Lord, it was a great conversation. But anyway, 1994, God stepped in the way to show me the way. Now, picture the conversation I had with my manager at work when I was trying to communicate to him that. He was a military guy, and he had a lot of questions for me, of which I didn't have a lot of great answers for. And he said to me, you're crazy. And I was sitting there thinking, I think he's right. Like, 80% shot he's right here. I said, but I really believe, I remember looking him in the eye, I said, but at the end of the day, I really believe this is what God wants me to do with my life, and I can't turn away from that. He didn't have much of a response to that. I throw the God card in there. It's like, oh boy, that kind of, and then I had to call my dad. I remember the phone call with my dad, and my dad had a lot of the same questions as my manager. And after I made the change, it was probably, I don't know, I think, I was trying to remember this, three to four months after I left Lily, I was working at the church, and it was paycheck to paycheck. We used to have a Nike shoebox in the back of our meeting room for Eagle Church. I, I don't know why I remember that so much, because of the swoosh maybe in the orange box, and it was our offering box. And we, Carrie and I used to pray about whatever goes in this Nike shoebox was going to dictate, A, whether we could meet next week, and B, if we were going to actually, you know, have any money for groceries and things for our own lives as well. But we used to pray over that Nike shoebox and lay hands on that thing, you know. I remember it was like three or four months into that, my phone rang, and it was my manager at Lilly. 
And he called and he said, before you respond to what I'm about to ask you, I need you to hear me out completely. It's like, okay. And he went on a two to three minute, he laid out a plan that he had been working on where it would allow me to continue to serve in what I felt like God was wanting me to do with my life. But he was like, we structured this way, you can work remotely and you can do these things and we're gonna pay you X amount and we're gonna make it super flexible. Like he was baiting it in every way and the kind of work that he knew I really liked to do. He laid the whole thing out. And man, at that point I was going, that sounds really good. Especially when it came to the consistent paycheck line, that felt really good. And I felt like the Lord said, but God. God saying, you know what? What did I ask you to do three or four months ago? Was it an all-in or all-out deal? And I remember holding that phone, whispering a prayer, and I just said, thank you so much for your interest, your willingness. I'm humbled at the offer, but it's a no thank you. I'm going to stay the course with what I'm doing and where I'm at. And 25 years later, here we are. Isn't this crazy? And the testimony is this. If Carrie were up here on stage with me right now, Carrie and I and our families and the rest of our staff families could say this to you. For 27 years of Eagles history, we have never missed one paycheck. Not one. Now, there were some weeks. Are you with me? Those of you in the early days. There were some weeks when Carrie and I were sitting there on Saturday night, and it was the prayer and fasting night. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you know what? The Lord's been faithful through you. You have been faithful, but God. And it seems like a lifetime ago when I talk about by, by days at Lily when I, when I talk about those things. But I look back and, and I see where God just had to step in the way to show me the way, like loosen your grip. I had it in my heart that I went and got a management information systems degree and I was going to go work for Lily and I was going to be a project leader and then a manager and then a director. I had it in my heart that's where it was going to go and it sounded like some other people had it in their heart that's where it was going to go. But God... But God stepped in the way to show me the way. And David is saying to his people, David knew this. He knew he had to train his people on this loosening of the grip. Because if you like to be in control and you like to plan and you like to know and you like to organize and you want to know exactly where that's going, God's going to stand in the way. And it doesn't mean it's always your plan. It's always 180 degrees the other way, but it might be a slight adjustment along the way. David's trying to cultivate this posture of surrender and relinquishment and a yielding of my will to his will. Back to a couple weeks ago, a yield from willfulness to willingness. And David wants to make sure, hey, he gets everybody together. He says, hey, you may forget me, but don't forget this. Don't forget this. Learn how to loosen your grip. Because I think God's way better at guiding our lives than we are. Way better at it than I am. Like, way better at it. Loosen your grip. Let him finish the script. David, you are not to build the house. I know you've got the plans. I know you've got the supplies. I know you've got the project all mapped out. Lay it down. Solomon's going to do it. But God. 
Let's see what else he taps onto here. He builds on this now. So in his memorial service planning, he says, look at verse 8. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God. Does that not sound like an introduction to a memorial service right there? He's saying, okay, listen up. These are about the last words I'm going to share. He's 70 years old. Remember our journey with David? We started our journey in April. We're now in the finale point. We're at the memorial service. We're at the closing words. All of his ups and downs, all of his highs and lows. Not the ideal life, but the real life. It's all culminating right now. He says, hey, listen up. Be careful to follow, underline this, to follow all the commands of the Lord, your God, that you may possess this good land. And underline, pass it on. And draw a line between follow and draw a line down to pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. So I think the first kind of statement in his memorial service might loosen your grip. The second is pass on a legacy of trust. And I had you underline there because you see that you can't, you can't pass on what you don't possess. You can't pass on what you don't possess. To use the Bible language there, you can't give to the next generation if you're not following it in the current generation. Do you see? He's charging the current generation to stay on it with the Lord so that the next generation could be on it with the Lord because you can't pass on what you don't possess. Or maybe in the parenting circle, sometimes it's, you might be passing on what you didn't realize you possessed. Anybody ever been there as a parent? It's like, where did you learn that? You're like, oh my goodness, I think they learned that dysfunction from me. I was like 11 or 12, and I was, I was the kid with my brother who used to spend most weekends fishing with my dad. So fishing was a big deal in central Iowa. That's what we did for entertainment most of the time. And so we'd go out fishing. He, dad knew all the fishing holes, and he had his fishing buddies. And there was this routine. We'd get to the fishing spot. We'd get the supplies set up. And my dad would reach for his can of skull bandits. You know skull bandits back in the day? Skull bandits were like the chewing tobacco that was put in a nice pouch so it didn't like float around in your mouth. That's how I understood it. So it was like these skull bandit pouches. And my dad would reach for the can and he'd stick the pouch in his mouth. And as an 11 or 12-year-old boy, I just thought that was so cool. Like, I wanted to be like my dad. So I remember the Saturday morning, I said to him, I said, Dad, I want to try chewing tobacco. And he said, okay. My mom was not around. She was out running errands. <laughs> mom was nowhere in sight. Dad said, okay, and he goes back to the bedroom, and he brings out his can of Skull Bandits. Oh, I remember seeing it. It was, a, I did, he opened up the can, he let me reach in and pull out a bandit, and my chest hairs just started growing, like, right there. Like, <laughs> I just felt myself maturing, like, and I stuck it in my mouth. He didn't say anything. He didn't give me any guidance or anywhere. Stuck it in my mouth, and then he said to me, he says, hey, let's go outside and like trim up the bush. I need some help trimming up the bushes. That should have been my first clue, but anyway. He's like, let's go outside, you know, trim up the bush. I'm like, okay. So I was going out in the front yard and maybe been five minutes. And you know, like if you're 11 or 12 year old boy and you just got a skull bandit in your mouth and you know how it's supposed to work. If you see, I, I didn't really pay attention to what dad did after he would stick with, like he did a lot of spitting. As 11, or 12 year old boy, what was I doing? I was treating it like the best, like, you know, hard candy type in your mouth, you know, where you're just 
swishing it around and swallowing all the extra saliva. I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm just, yes, and dad could see it. Yeah, he just, I'm over there. I haven't spit one time, you know, in the first five minutes. So I'm standing out in the front yard just, and I had this like burning sensation. And it started right down here. And it just started to move up. And I'm standing in the front yard, and then it, I started to get a little lightheaded, and I felt so nauseous. I mean, just overwhelmingly nauseous. And I'm just standing there, and the yard's starting to spin, and my belly and my chest are burning, and I just went, Bwah! <laughs> and the little bandit goes, and you know what happens? That I had no like when you throw up that amount of nicotine. Do you know what that does to your throat and to your mouth? I was like, "Dad, it's burning so bad. This is horrible. Stop it!" And he's just he's just standing there, you know. And I'm just like, Bleh! <coughs> "Stop! Stop!" Dad's just standing. There. Do you know when the last time I've chewed tobacco? <laughs> when mom got home later that afternoon, she was not impressed, by the way. But I still tell her to this day, mom, I know you'll be listening to this sermon at some point. Mom, that was highly effective parenting by dad, you know, give him some cred there. Like, dad possessed some knowledge that he's going to pass on to his son, and it's, <laughs> it was going to be a learning point. My younger brother loved witnessing the whole scene, too. That was the other part. Like Brad standing over on the side, just cheering the whole thing on. You know, like. See, David knew this. David knew that if the next generation was going to follow the commands of the Lord, the current generation had to be on it with the commands of the Lord. If the current generation wavers and falls off the wagon, the next generation, you can't pass on what you don't possess. Do you see this? And we know this as parents. We know this as spiritual leaders. Those of you who lead in children and student ministry, we know this principle. Like this is why this is such a big deal for us around here. You know, as a parent, it's a wonderful thing to have a vision and desire. A parent or a grandparent, you want your kids, you want your grandkids, you want them to grow up with a moral compass. You want them to grow up to love God, to treat people well, to make a difference in the world, to be about the things that you know God would want us to be about. Those are wonderful desires to have. Those are great visions we should have for our kids. Do you know what's central to seeing that desire actually find fruition and be carried out practically? Like we have to go from just desire, we have to go to action. And one of the sobering things with the current generation, we who are trying to lead in the current generation is to recognize in our own failings. It doesn't mean you have to do it perfectly. It's not about perfection. It's about intention. And we've got to be on it with consistency with things like. So we want to see the generation of our kids grow up, and we want them to value being connected to a local church community. Do you know how often parents and grandparents come and talk with us as staff about their child or their grandchild who's not prioritizing a connection to local church life. Do you know what? We, we've got it. We, we have to own it as adults, right? That if we treat church third or fourth or fifth on the list, then we can't be too surprised 
when the generation growing up sees it as third or fourth or fifth in the midst of, right, treating youth group that way or treating when they move off to college that way. And like, why aren't they making it a priority? I think one of the things we have to do is look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what are we as a current generation positioning as priorities? Again, not perfectly, but with intention. I know it gets really quiet on this point, and I'm not trying to pile on a guilt with this point. I just want us to soberly evaluate it and to say, hey, if we want our kids to walk in this way, the primary mechanism that happens is the, par- the current generation, the spiritual leaders, grandparents, parents, youth leaders, pastors, teachers, those in positions of authority and influence, they then model. You can't pass on what you don't possess. And David says, you need to pass on a legacy of trusting God. Pass on a legacy of following his commands. Pass on a legacy of listening to God and walking in his ways. You've got to possess those and then pass them on to the next generation. That's why around here, we see an integral link between discipleship and next gen. We want to Be a disciple and make disciples. You can't make disciples. You can't help someone else be a disciple unless you are one. So the action step is we want to see the next generation grow up to walk with God and serve his purposes. Then we, the current generation, we're working on our discipleship so that we can impact the next generation that way. It's intricately tied. That's why our children and student ministry are so important around here. That's why you youth and children's leaders are so critical to the equation. You are central to David's legacy right here. You're the front line. Those of you leading life groups and doing discovery stations and handling all kinds of stuff in children and student ministry, you're the front line for this application. You are passing on a legacy of trusting God to the next generation. How is that happening? Through you. And I would argue there's probably nothing more critical than that. Because long after the current generation has gone the way like we did yesterday, we sat about Rick Gibney's life and we reflected, Tom Brokaw calls Rick Gibney's generation the greatest generation. And when one generation passes, where is the next generation gonna be to raise and take the baton? We're responsible. That's why discipleship and next gen are woven together. Pass it on. It's a legacy of trusting God. And just a brief word here about, now, some of you are in environments where you have, to the best of your abilities, attempted to pray and model Christ-like activities and priorities in your home. You've, you've prioritized local church life, youth group, camps, mission trips. You prioritize all that stuff as parents or grandparents, and you're watching a child or a grandchild Go the opposite way. You're watching them go 180 degrees from the faith environment and the foundation you've raised them with. And I want to say a couple things to this because it's because the scriptures do speak to this. And it is a reality that it's not a one-to-one just because you do it the right way and you're on it this way that automatically the generation grows up to follow. But here's the promise we can stand on. Two verses I want to leave you if that's you as a parent or a grandparent in that setting. Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way they should go And here's the key line. When they are what? Old. They will not depart from it. When they are 
old. It doesn't say train up a child in the way they should go. It doesn't say they're never going to test the boundaries. They're never going to stray. They're never going to wander. They're never going to have to kind of push the edges on things. Some of you are dealing right now. You're parenting your way through a young person who's pushing the edges on some things. And it doesn't say when they're 21 or 24 or 28. It says when they are old, which means everybody's got their own journey. And here's what you can hold on to. God is faithful and God is able. And you've planted the seeds and you've laid the foundation and now trust him. He's big enough to handle this. And some of your stories, some of our stories in here, like we were that story, right? Some of you, that is your story. You were raised with a strong foundation. You went your own way for a while. God used a whole sequence of events to bring you back and here you are. You're a testimony of Proverbs 22.6. So hold on to that, mom and dad. Hold on to that. And then combine it with 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 to 12. Here's what that says. We shared it yesterday at the memorial service. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Here are your three words. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Encouraging, comforting, and urging. My experience, those are three great words for parenting, by the way. Parenting God's way, encouraging, comforting, urging. I found that usually as parents, we tend to, we, we tend to drift to one of those three words. Like some of you are encouragers, some of you are comforters, and some of you are urgers, like the exhorting, the counseling, the directing, the teaching part, right? That's the urging part. And usually it's, it's super helpful with a mom and a dad. We usually can kind of help balance out the equation. That's most often what happens. Or maybe it's a, a mom and a dad with a grandparent influence or it's a youth leader influence or somewhere it kind of helps balance for single parents. It's God bringing other influences in because we usually drift to one of those three, but it's the balance, right, of encouraging, comforting, and urging. And you just stay on it at whatever stage of parenting you are. Parenting never stops, right, all the way to the end. And you know God is faithful and that you know God is able. And right now you might not be seeing the direct fruit of all the years of investment that you've laid but stay steady. God's going to get the last word. And with that, I think you're going to see a testimony to Proverbs 22.6 and 1 Thessalonians 2. So this is David's memorial service planning. And the first thing, he gets the group together, and he says, hey, you know what? I, I want to see this guy. I want to see everyone when they're gathering, and they're remembering. My, you might forget me, but don't forget this. Loosen your grip. Your plans, your ways, your dreams, your hopes, your desires, loosen your grip. God's way better at guiding your life than you are, but God. Let God stand in the way to show you the way. And then secondly, pass on what you possess, which then is an exhortation. We need to possess, right? Let's be on it with being grounded in our own discipleship. That's why EHS is important. That's why Alpha class is important. That's why when Julia's doing Old Testament class or we do life groups, like our discipleship initiatives around here, this is why this is so important because we want to help us be disciples who then have some roots of faith to help the next generation. To say, you look at the next generation, you say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's how this is supposed to work, which we recognize together, right? That's an us thing. We work on that Together, follow me as I follow Christ. Pass on a legacy of trust. And then thirdly, First Chronicles 29. Here's the third section of his memorial service planning. He moves into a prayer. He prays for them. But who am I? Verse 14, David's praying. And who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. 
Everything comes from you, and we've given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Follow this now, verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. So here's his exhortation to the people. Work those muscles of generosity. Give away in light of what the Lord has given you. This is David when he's been collecting all the resources to build the temple because he had a plan to build the temple. And he'd collect the supplies and the resources to build the temple. And then God stepped in the way to show him the way. He said, David, you're actually not the one to build the temple. Solomon is. But you, now he is getting the people together and say, you did a really good job by stewarding the resources I've given you. This is working the muscles of generosity. This is what Jesus picks up on. Here's, Jesus summarizes that section of David's later on, Matthew 6. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is the Matthew 6 treasure principle. So Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So why is, why is David and why is Jesus speaking so much about this? Is because he knows this is a gateway to this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reason God talks so much about this is because he cares about this. And we all operate with this, right? Just start investing some of your money in a certain company. And what happens to your attentiveness towards their earnings and reports and change of management? All of a sudden, you're really concerned about that company. Or start sponsoring a remember new child in a certain country, Cambodia or Kenya or Thailand, all of a sudden, the news about Cambodia or Kenya or Thailand, you're just like drawn to it. What happened with that? Or start giving to a local church and all of a sudden, you start being really attentive to like the budget and the spending patterns and priorities. Like, what is that? That's Jesus. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This becomes a gateway to this. The flip side is also true. What we're doing with this is a reflection of what's going on in here. This is what David's exhorting him, saying, hey, you've been so generous. This is his line about integrity of heart. They've given willingly with integrity of heart. This is the connection around here. We want to connect stewardship to discipleship. They are integrated. This is the integrity part. There's an integrated view in God's mind. In David, 1 Chronicles 29, Jesus, Matthew 6. What you do with this affects this. This has the ability to direct this right here. And then what's going on with this is also a mirror to what's going on in here. It's an amazing thing. And that's why when you read the Bible and you get super frustrated about how many times like the Bible's bringing up dealing with wealth and possessions and stewardship, you're like, why is he talking so much about it? Because he knows the power. And David could pick any subject to have in his memorial service and he says this, I wanna make sure that your own personal discipleship is woven to your stewardship. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And David says, I want God to be the treasure of your heart. And so the way you work that muscle is generosity. 
So generosity becomes the vision. This isn't about giving. We do classes around here for budget and finance and to help your personal finance. Not to help the church budget out. It's to help your personal discipleship. It's not about making budget here. It's about you living out Matthew 6. It's like, I need to better understand like God's view of money and wealth and possessions because it's such an effect on my heart. And it has the ability to direct so many things. And so that's why stewardship and discipleship become like this. That's why we're going to continue to try to offer helps and classes and conversation and interaction about it. We want to have an environment here of openness about the subject. We're in, I know in many evangelical settings, the whole topic of money just gets thrown into a category of just some whacked out teachings on money. We just want to be clear. What does the Bible say about how God has us manage what he's entrusted to us? And here's the vision the Bible gives us. Our vision should be one of generosity that we want to be known as a people, as a community of generosity. Wouldn't that be an amazing legacy to leave in our community? Wouldn't it be something if the first word or the first set of words that comes up when people mention Eagle Church, when Eagle Church comes up in our community, wouldn't it be something, and maybe it's already happening for all it, but wouldn't it be something if the conversation goes with my, what a generous group of people that is. Wouldn't that be amazing? I think God would get great glory out of that. I think of the impact that could happen in people's lives. Like a few months ago when we gave all that money away to help single moms and to help many of you who are doing foster care families and safe families that some folks had given to our benevolence fund in a way that we are just able to give and just bless all these folks and the notes that flowed in and we shared some of those with you. That, like that's just a little window into what David's saying is that should be our culture as a community that he's given us so much. Everything we have comes from your hands. And so we want to be a funnel to funnel it out to what's on God's heart in this world, that we can be that. That of all the entities in the world that can be known for generosity, I think the church of Jesus should be at the top of the stack. Because are we not on the receiving end of the most generous gift of grace the world has ever seen? In light of the grace he's given us, David says, turn around and give, work these muscles of generosity. So there you go, church. You've got David, 70 years old. There's his memorial service. It's kind of like the memorial service before the service. And he gets his leaders together. He gets his family together. He says, hey, you may forget me, but don't forget this. Loosen your grip. Whatever you have it in your heart to do, wherever you got the death grip on the wheel, willfulness to willingness. Loosen your grip, surrender, relinquish, let God guide it. Where is God standing in the way to show you the way? And then secondly, David says, you got to pass on. Everything that's been built and deposited in you, this whole thing's got to get passed on. So he exhorts us to deepen our own personal discipleship. Follow in the commands. Get to know the Lord. Walk in his ways. Get in his word and pray and keep pressing in. David says, keep going after the Lord. And then you pass on only what you possess. Pass it on to the next generation. Pour into them. Help them get a vision for life with God. Pass it on. And then thirdly, God's given you everything you have. Now cultivate a legacy of generosity. Work the muscles of generosity. Give it away. Because this has the power to affect this. And because God cares so much about this, David says, pay attention to this and where this is going.
because this becomes a mirror of what's going on in here. So you know, David's not the only one with an end date. We all have it, right? At some point, someday, somehow, your family might be gathering with you and saying, hey, can we have a conversation about your memorial service? It can be a little awkward to enter into, but I think super healthy at its core when you actually begin to reflect upon, what would I like shared at the end of the run? that represents, it's like a window into the stuff that matters most to David. Because the question isn't whether we're all going to eventually get to an end point. The question is when we get there, what kind of an impact and legacy is going to ripple out from our lives? And David's life has been far from perfect, not ideal, but it's been real. He's had highs and lows, ups and downs. He's fallen on his face in failure. There's been a ripple effect of pain through his family. He's been far from perfect as a parent. But look now where he stands. Still King David. And eventually Jesus comes on the scene and one of the titles Jesus adopts is the son of David. So who would have thought? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for David's life and what a journey these last several months have been. Thank you for all the ways you've taught us through his legacy, for all his highs and lows, his ordinariness in between. Thank you, the compass inside of him that just kept going true north all the way to his memorial service. At the end of the day, he says it's but God. And so we pray on this day, at this moment, there may be some but God moments that you've been standing in the way to show us the way. There's some things going on in people's lives where how they're going to get through what they're going through. And would you teach us as a community how to trust in you in a way that we pass on to the next generation coming up, a legacy of trusting you. And thank you for the generosity that's already flowed from this body. Would you help that be one of the commentaries in our community? My, what a generous people that Eagle Church family is. Help that be the case, Lord. May we be a people who loosen our grip and who pass on a legacy of trust and who work these muscles of generosity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.